This episode is brought to you by VinSmart. Need help with your recall campaigns? DMVs, government agencies, fleet owners can learn more by visiting vinsmart.com slash businesses or call 1-888-950-9550. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's AmbaCast. This week, we're going to have a conversation with this year's recipient of the Lifetime Achievement in Highway Safety for Motor Vehicle Administration, Owen McShane. Owen is from the New York DMV and is well-known among the AMVA community. Owen, welcome to your first appearance on the AMVACast. Thanks for having me. So, Owen, normally when folks in the AMVA community are talking to you, it's a lot about fighting fraud and DMV fraud and safety on our on our highways. But I really want to talk to you about your, your entire career because that's really what's different about this particular recognition. Um, it's not a particular project or a program or the best practice, but it's really that career in its entirety um, to receive the Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, tell me what, what it felt like when you got that call that, uh, that you were selected this year. I was very honored. I've dealt with a lot of the other Lifetime Achievement Award winners, and I felt very honored to be included in that group and uh, very proud uh, to have some of the work I've done over the years recognized. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that that work. I think I, you know, I casually referenced about 30 years of the the New York with the New York DMV. Is that about right? That's correct. correct. Yeah, it'll be 30 years this October. Oh wow! So, how does that get started? Take us back. Take us back to the beginning. 30 years ago, young young Owen McShane finding his way to the New York DMV. Um, I graduated college with a degree in criminal justice and sociology and applied for a lot of police agencies. And while I was waiting, I took a lot of investigator tests and I was offered a position with DMV. And at the time, DMV was hiring investigators because of a surging auto theft rate in New York State, New York City Mm -hmm. in particular. So I was hired. And three weeks after I completed training, I was dropped into a junkyard that we seized from an organized crime group. Oh boy. In New York City. In New York City, Brooklyn. Wow. <laughs> so are, are you a native of New York? Uh, I was born in the Bronx, but I grew up in the suburbs in Rockland County. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked down in New York City when I first started with DMV for about 10 years. So you spent your first 10 years with the DMV in the New York City area working investigations similar to that type of little story you just told there. Yep. And uh, a lot of it was auto theft related. So um, I conducted a variety of different types of investigations associated with altered titles, odometer fraud, uh, wholesale auto theft rings, uh, individuals coming in and presenting bad paperwork to try to register a car, get a title for a car. And at the time, New York City was uh, encountering about 400 cars per day being stolen. Mm. So business was booming at the time. <laughs> it certainly kept you busy. So what what happens after 10 years? I assume that's when you make the move uh, up to headquarters in Albany? Yes. Um, my wife is from the Capital District region, so she wanted to come home. I had some promotional opportunities up here, so I came to Albany. And uh, when I originally came to Albany, we're still primarily focused on auto theft. But a short time later, later that year, in fact, uh, 9-11 occurred, and it really mm-hmm. changed things from the DMV perspective. 
hard to believe that's 20 years ago now. Yes. So talk about that. Certainly, it not only changed things from a DMV perspective, but certainly uh, it changed for DMVs everywhere and certainly a heightened change in New York. So what, how does that shift? How did that shift your work following 9-11? Uh, I was invited to a meeting with the from the governor's office uh, with our commissioner, and we were specifically told that based on what was learned about 9-11 and that the 19 hijackers had 54 sets of IDs, they really wanted to make sure that did not happen again and wanted mm -hmm. to tighten up the ID controls. And we were given the mission to target that and to work that closely with our state police and other police agencies across the state to arrest anyone coming into the office presenting fraudulent ID documents. So that was your first entry or first movement away from the vehicle crime, vehicle fraud into more of the identity fraud and driver's license, counterfeit driver's licensing world that you've been so involved in. I had, it was a shift, but dealing with auto theft, we regularly saw fake IDs as well. So it was just a, a slight pivot. Yeah. And, um, you know, that first year we went from having 140 arrests for fake IDs in calendar year 1999 to, um, uh, sorry, in calendar year 2000 to over a thousand arrests in 2001. So in the last three months of 2001, we had a huge surge in the amount of arrests that we made. We literally put our investigators in DMV offices in conjunction with the troopers, uniformed and investigators from the state police. And we took a very aggressive approach. And I, I think it's around this time, early 2000s, that your, your AMVA involvement really starts to, to evolve. Um, it started to, to change a little bit. So in the late 90s, I was involved with AMVA from the vehicle side. I was part of the VDEC, uh, Vehicle Document Examiner's course, coming up with a training manual to identify altered titles and, and things that individuals might present to a DMV to commit odometer fraud or register a stolen car. So how did you, how did you let's go back though, how did you first get introduced to AMVA in the late 90s? Uh, one of our commissioners volunteered me to speak at a conference in New Brunswick, and it was supposed to be a small group for about 15 people, 20 people. And about 10 minutes before I went on, he said, by the way, I told everyone at the conference they, that you, they should attend your session. So we're moving you from this mini room into the auditorium. <laughs> so that was Don Savage at the time. Nice. So you, you start going to AMVA conferences and you're involved in the, the VDOC stuff. And tell me what, what happens in the early 2000s as your portfolio in New York grew, so did your involvement in different AMVA activities. Yes. Um, after 9-11, I got involved with AMVA on developing the FDR program mm -hmm. and developing a training program that we're able to roll out to the DMVs across the U.S. and Canada. And I believe it was a very valuable tool and I had the opportunity to work with a lot of AMVA staff on that and, uh, you know, start forming relationships that continue to this day. Yeah. So back, back in Albany now, you've given this, uh, this task by the, the governor following 9-11 and you talked about the arrests um, going up. What, what happens from there in terms of your career path and your portfolio growing as the 2000 start to unfold? 
In 2003, uh, I was appointed director of investigation and our investigation unit continued to increase. So we went from a pre 9-11 total, about 60 investigators to over 120. Wow. And um, our arrest hit about 1500 arrests per year by our DMV investigators. And we found out that our best way to, to meet our goals was to partner up. So we formed partnerships with local state and federal agencies and we could do a lot more working in cooperation with them than we could accomplish alone. And what, what was, tell us about some of those uh, initiatives. I know some of them was based on folks coming into the office with multiple credentials or catching them with, with multiple credentials when they came in, as you referenced. But I know that you've spearheaded some particular field task force to, to go out and either find folks with multiple credentials or in New York, there was an effort a few years ago to really crack down on underage drinking as related to fake credentials. Sure. Uh, right around 2005, 2006, we were getting ready to roll out a new driver's license and make some changes to our driver's license. And as an effort to do so, we decided to assign our investigators to participate in underage drinking so that we could see what the counterfeiters were making and how they were being utilized. So we we're actually able to collect thousands of fake licenses and we we're able to go through and identify what security features they were able to duplicate, what they could not, and we we're able to modify our driver's license accordingly. Mm -hmm. So when we issued our next driver's license, we included all the features that we knew counterfeiters had a hard time with and we eliminated all the ones they were able to easily dupl duplicate. And it was a valuable tool to us and I know we shared our results with a lot of other jurisdictions as well. And that's a real, there's a real nexus point there when, you know, a lot of folks think about um, investigations and counterfeit credentials simply in that fraud realm. But there's really that crossover there with highway safety when it comes to um, underage, underage access to alcohol using fake identification and then the, that increasing the chances of them driving impaired uh, really it in that one element really brings so many of the missions together into one place exactly one of the things we did is we also worked with our governor's traffic safety unit and analyzed the driving records of the people we encountered and we found that a lot of the people who are coming into our office to submit fraudulent or altered documents already had an existing record that was suspended or revoked because of alcohol convictions, speed convictions, or other driving infractions. So they were they were trying to get around those infractions uh, with the second identity. And so, what what are some of the other key priorities that you've been working on more more recently there in the in the office? Well, one of the things that we've been doing a lot with is facial recognition, and uh, we've been using it as a traffic safety tool. So we did a small pilot in New York State in 2008, and when we completed the pilot, we had identified about 100 individuals who had two or more licenses. Over 50% of the people we identified were suspended or revoked under one identity, and they got a second identity to continue to drive and bypass those uh, revocations. We had about 20% who um, were revoked under all the identities, even the new identities they got, they must speed out of the DMV parking lot because as soon as they got a new identity, it was revoked. 
and 30% were for no DMV issues. A lot of it was for financial fraud or other issues along that line. And we had all those records analyzed by our Institute of Traffic Safety Management. And consistently for the past 13 years now, it's been plus or, or minus one percentage point for the same stats. So 50% of the people that we identify with facial recognition are suspended or revoked under one identity while they get a second license or second record to bypass that. So it's been pretty consistent and interesting to see. And you're also on the forefront of then taking that concept of facial recognition uh, across state lines. You, yes. You led one of those first efforts where states were actually exchanging that information. Yes, we partnered with some of the other states surrounding us, uh, particularly New Jersey, Maryland, Connecticut. And what we did is we focused on CDL drivers and four hire drivers, and we ran them through the other states. And it was amazing to see the number of CDL drivers who have a CDL license in one jurisdiction while they're maintaining a class D license in the other jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And how many of them will willingly give their class D license to get an operating at a class ticket because they know it's not impacting their true record or the record they're making money from mm -hmm. and how far they will go to maintain two or two, three, or in some cases, four licenses. You know, and as some of uh, with the facial recognition stuff, that's another place where you've been really actively involved with AMVA. You were the chair of our most recent facial recognition working group. Yes. Um, how, how did that experience, obviously we benefited from what you've been doing in New York in terms of bringing it into the best practice that everyone has available. But uh, in what ways was that experience helpful to you to go back to with New York and your surrounding states? I think one of the big values of AMVA is sitting in a room and finding out how other, how other states are dealing with some of these issues. So instead of reinventing the wheel, you can take the best practices that other jurisdictions are using and bring it back to your state to share. Mm -hmm. And we've been consistently doing that and it's really helped out our efforts. Yeah, and, and in what ways do you think that that in your involvement of AMVA, has that, how has that impacted your career path? Uh, you know, in your years with the DMV, have you seen it interwoven with your involvement in AMVA or kind of parallel tracks? What will be your view on that? It's funny, as my career changed, so did some of the work groups from AMVA. Um, at one point in my career, we saw a surge in employee malfeasance. And a few weeks later, I get called to participate in a, um, you know, integrity program that you were creating just to build the best practice. Uh, the same thing with some of the vehicle and, uh, you know, the facial recognition. As we're pivoting as an agency, it was amazing to see AMVA pivoting in the same directions. And, you know, as we saw a resurgence of, of auto theft in terms of shifting from traditional stealing a car to walking into the dealership with the stolen identity, AMVA was able to help with that as well. And, you know, some of the lessons we learned from other jurisdictions helped us prepare better for that. So as someone who uh, has been living in this world of fighting and preventing fraud, um, there's been a lot of conversation about how the pandemic is changing the face of fraud. Are, are you seeing that happen? I think one of the things with the pandemic is it highlighted the value of a DMV record. 
and we saw an increased resurgence of individuals trying to get DMV records. We saw record numbers of complaints of phishing scams to get try to get people to share their name, date of birth, social security number, driver's license number. And as, as we started seeing that and compared notes with other states, one of the best tools we had was communications. And our communications office pushed out advisories, shared things on post on social media, and the feedback from the consumers was fantastic. And we were able to stop a lot of this from continuing. But it just highlighted once again, you know, people think of, of the DMV license as the key to driving, but in many states, it's also the key to unemployment benefits or other things. And the pandemic kind of highlighted that as well. And where do you think that, what's the trajectory then on the future of fighting fraud? I think DMVs have to be prepared to use all the tools at their disposal. And I think one of the tools that's going to be valuable in the future is the shift to mobile driver's license. Hmm. I think you're going to continue to see traditional driver's licenses being produced for a long time. But I think the mobile driver's license is going to be a new tool for DMVs to connect with their customers and provide a secure means of verification of who the DMV is dealing with remotely. Is that something you're directly involved with in New York in terms of where New York may want to go with a mobile driver's license? We're still looking at a whole bunch of different options. We haven't yeah. committed to one yet, but <laughs> I think just the technology in the last couple of years has changed so significantly and combining the mobile driver's license with a variety of types of biometrics yeah. It seems like the next great best step that many DMVs are going to be taking. And I think it'll give a new level of uh, assistance to our customers as well. So I happen to have some good researchers who do some work for me before I get to talk to folks. And something that I didn't know about you, and maybe others don't know, that one of the things you spend a lot of time doing when you're not fighting the good fight is teaching. And you yes. must have been an, an adjunct professor for a number of years. Yes. Um, when I was first started as an investigator, one of the things I really enjoyed doing was training and passing along what I knew to other investigators and police officers. And as I increased in rank and authority at DMV, it became harder to do that. So when I became director, I went back to college, got my master's degree, and I started teaching. So I've been teaching classes on Homeland Security and biometrics, and I really enjoy it. I find it very re rewarding. Neat. So that it's at one of the schools in Albany, I would assume? Yeah, I started at one of the small schools, Sage College, but now I'm working for our state university and uh, in their Homeland Security program, and I teach graduate and undergraduate students. So what, I'm just curious now, the, the type of students that are coming in and taking those classes, um, we talked about 9-11 being 20 years ago, you're now teaching undergraduates who, they weren't born when Correct. they happened. So that, yes. that view of the world is quite different. Well, one of, the, one of the big degree programs that seems to be developing is cybersecurity. And there's a big interest in, in biometrics and homeland security issues across those lines. So there's a strong interest for what could be done to help protect individuals and what tools are out there. Yeah. So my biometrics class, we cover a lot of that. And... Uh, it's very re rewarding for me after teaching students to hear back from them a year later that I'm an FBI agent, I'm a Homeland Security investigator, I'm a state trooper, I'm whatever they are, but it's kind of rewarding to get the feedback. Yeah. 
have any of them ended up working for you yet? I guess that's the question. <laughs> um, we've had some apply for positions, so we'll see what the future holds. But we, we have none of my direct students work for me in in our investigation unit, but they work for other state agencies. But we do have quite a few who have applied for positions with us. That's great. That's really great. And so I guess on, on a fun note, what what does a Lifetime Achievement Award winner do with his free time when you're not which between the work and teaching doesn't sound like there is much of it. I make the most of my free time. One of the things I really enjoy doing is spending time outdoors. And I spend a lot of time in the winter skiing in upstate New York. It's something to do. And I get out skiing a lot. Uh, both my kids are ski instructors. Oh, and wow. I really enjoy in the summer uh, getting out fishing, kayaking, getting out on the water that way, exploring the Adirondacks, which are pretty close to us. And now both my kids are also lifeguards, so I feel safer when I go out. Wow. So <laughs> safe on the slopes with them teaching and safe in the water with them as, as lifeguards. Yes. So safety seems to run in the family. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Um, Owen, I, I really appreciate you spending some time today talking about your, your career and your path. Um, looking back, though, if you had to choose, and I'm not saying your career is over, just because you get a Lifetime Achievement Award doesn't mean, you know, anyone's expecting your retirement filings. But at, at this point, you know, you can look back and point out a particular career accomplishment and say, that, that's one I'm particularly proud of. What, what might that be for you? Oh. One area is auto theft. So when I was hired, as I mentioned, we had 140,000 cars stolen in New York City. And the only way to address that was agencies working together from the local police to the DMVs to the state police. And we saw that number drop from 140,000 plus in the early 90s to less than 7,000 cars stolen in the five boroughs in 2019. And a lot of that was accomplished by working together and not just working together in New York, but working together with our surrounding states as well. So when we have trainings, we see investigators from Vermont, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, coming down to work together with us on these trainings. That's fantastic. So I do wish we would have been able to be together in Denver to give you the award in, in person. Um, nevertheless, it doesn't take away how um, extraordinary an accomplishment is to be recognized as the Lifetime Achievement Award winner, um, and so much that you've given the AMVA community during your, your career. Um, even when there were other folks coming, coming in and out, you've always been a uh, reliable go-to contact in New York and a reliable leader in our DMV investigations, fraud fighting, identity management world. Um, I hope... Um, I hope we've been able to give back to you as much as you've given to the community. I've learned a lot from AMVA and I really enjoyed the friendships that I've been able to establish with your staff and staff from jurisdictions across the country. And I think it's really helped me in my career as well. That's fantastic. Well, Owen, continue to stay well. I hope to be able to congratulate you in person in the not too distant future. Uh, until then, enjoy, uh, the, the rest of swimming safely while the summer ends and then dusting off the, the skis as all too soon it will be ski season, especially, yes, up, especially, especially <laughs> up here. <laughs> well, thanks and, a lot for your time, Ian. My pleasure. It's great to have you. Thanks all of you for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, 
Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everybody, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Visit us at ambacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.